Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. My name is Spencer Powell, the Inbound Marketing Director at Builder Funnel. And each week we bring you marketing and sales strategies for your home building or remodeling business. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 14 of Builder Funnel Radio. Today I have Kyle Hunt with me again. He's second time on the podcast and we actually started out joking about how it was lucky number 13 for him this episode but because we had to reschedule a few times this is actually episode 14 so I got a good kick out of that but today we really dive deeper into the sales process talking about that first call that connect call some strategies before and after and I think you guys will get a lot out of this episode with Kyle Hunt He is a business coach to remodelers all over the country, and he's a great guy as well. So enjoy the episode today. All right. Welcome back, Kyle. I think we had uh, had you on the show maybe a couple months ago, and we got some great feedback, and we needed to uncover some more. So uh, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It was episode number six. Number six. Yeah, not too long ago. So I think this will be... 13 or, or somewhere in that, that neighborhood. So I'm lucky, thir- lucky, lucky 13. It is my 13th wedding anniversary year in June. So thir- it's usually you look at 13, you're like, Ooh, that's, that's just bad luck or whatnot. But evidently 13 is just my year this year. It's it's good luck. Hey, that's awesome. Unplanned, but it'll, uh, it should be a good show then. All right. There you go. <laughs> cool. We wanted to dive into some of the the topics we didn't get to, to complete, I guess, in our last episode. And mainly around the sales process and follow-up. You know, how do you guide people down this path and turn them into customers? And so let's start at the beginning when a lead fills out a form on your website. What do you recommend that somebody does then? Yeah, we dug into this quite a bit in episode six of kind of what to do before we even have the initial call. So instead of using a lot of time to answer that part of the question, go back and listen, folks, to episode number six. Kind of the punchline of it is, is do some research. You have a little bit of information from that form. Get to know those people the best you can. One of the things is that we're, timeliness is important. No doubt we want to be timely in our response, but most of you listening aren't emergency plumbing service companies, right? Or there's water is not flying outdoor where it's like, we've got to get back to them very quick. Us taking the time to do a little bit of research on that prospect, finding out what we can about their home, about themselves. A lot of that stuff we talked about in episode six. So go back and, and listen to that. But to your question of, you know, what's the first step you recommend? That's the answer to it is a lot of what we covered in number six. But I wanted to go a little bit different direction is let's talk about that form. Let's talk about the actual form on the website. It's often kind of just something that haphazardly has been set up and it probably was set up years ago. Go pull up your website and take a look at the contact form that your prospects are filling out. And what you should consider is, hmm, what other information would be really helpful for me to gather here? Now, Spencer, I don't want you, I don't want you freaking out over there. I know that you are a metrics guy. <laughs> I know that you are cognizant of hey, every time we add another field, it might knock down the amount of people who are going to fill this out. Is that going through your head? Uh, a little bit, but I'm, I'm also a balanced guy, so I understand the importance of gathering information. And there you go. What I, would, what I would say is if I'm a prospect that is actually filling out a form and I want to talk to you about my project, you asking me another two questions on there 
is probably not going to slow me down. I'm just putting myself in those shoes. If I'm just submitting it to get a free report, well, that's one thing. But if I'm actually submitting this form because I want you to contact me about this project that we're considering, I don't think another, a couple questions are going to, it's going to cause too much trouble. I actually, I'm CC'd on a lot of my clients, my remodelers contact form. So I just got this one through is from 47 minutes ago, one of my clients out in Washington state. And here's what I know about this prospect. I know this guy's name. I know his, it's his best phone number. So most likely that's probably a cell phone number. I've got his email. Unfortunately on this one, it's an at gmail.com. But pay attention to that email. Pay attention. It might be coming from their business. And you can go and copy and paste that and take a look at their domain name, right? Take a look at their business. Learn about them a little bit. In this case, we have a how did you hear about us question. A lot of people that may have been referred to you are going to your website to check you out. And that may be how they reach out to you, even though they referred. So just having a quick drop down that says, how did you hear about us can give you some quick information. If it was a referral and they actually put that person's name in there, I might call that person up before I call them back. Again, get to know them a little bit. Um, type of project. And then this is the one that a lot of people don't have, but a lot of my clients do have it. And it ends up being like their favorite box that they fill out. Any, any thoughts on what this might be? I'm thinking it's uh, kind of like, what's the, the thing you hate most about your fill in the blank kitchen? You know, that's, half, it's a, that's a good question. That's a good question, but it's actually estimated project budget. Nice. Ooh, right. So <laughs> what, what we do a lot of times is we'll link to the cost versus value report, you know, and it might say, you know, estimated project budget. If you're not sure what your project budget should be, please review this independent resource. This cost versus value report is from Remodeling Magazine. You'll see mid-range and upscale projects. Again, this is simply a guide. Our clients often tell us how much they appreciate the fact that we'll work with them to build their, you know, dream project with value in mind. You, you might put a little verbiage on there, but you know, you can put that kind of underneath the, the submit portion of things, but it, it is surprising how often people do fill that in. Usually that's not a required field, but I see it come through the majority of the time filled in. I see people put in addition and then I see them put a budget of $35,000 in there. <laughs> Isn't that helpful to know? In this one, this is an addition project and it says estimated project budget $120,000. We were wanting to build an approximately 400 square foot bedroom addition onto the side of our existing home as well as pour a driveway slab. I have some preliminary plans that I've drawn up. We want to begin the work ASAP, but we need stamped drawings and a permit. Please contact me and let me know if you're interested in looking at this job. You know, so my client who gets this seems like a reasonable budget. Um, it's got some good information about the project. And sometimes we just say, on that project part, or it might just say notes or something. The way I like to phrase that is please tell us about the project you had in mind or any questions, comments you have for us. And just a lot of times that just gives a little bit more detail. So that's, that's my answer to kind of what's the first step. Go back and listen to episode six, where we kind of laid out all of the things to do before you make that initial call. And then I wanted to just bring up an often overlooked item, which is your website form. And the kicker with it is test it. You might say, Kyle, I don't know if I want to ask what their estimated project budget is. I don't, I don't even know them yet. Well, consider it, test it, try it. I will tell you that the majority of my remodelers, I think all of them that have gone that route, they don't make it a required field, but have gone that route. They've never gone back. They found it just to be super, super helpful to just throw that out there. And it's amazing how often people come back with a number. And again, don't automatically write them off when they say addition 30,000, you know, get on the phone with them, start educating them, start teaching them, start talking to them about that. 
some yeah i think it's a good a good opportunity to to uncover a lot more and it kind of makes that conversation easier because you've got some information to start with and exactly that they've already pushed out there and I think you make some good points around, you know, just the form in general and kind of thinking about the context of the form. So obviously if somebody's going to your contact us page and they want to fill out, tell us about your project, that type of a form, ask for some additional questions. And I think an ebook maybe doesn't require all that or a download, Sure. but maybe if it's just a way to get in touch with you, it, it requires some different questions, you know? So I think the context is super important and yeah, we have a couple of fields like that on some of our forums where, you know, maybe it decreases the conversion rate a little bit, but I like having the information so much that right. I'm willing to, to right. put and, and I would argue that if they're reaching out to you because they truly want to talk to you about the project, not just for a free guide, man, I would be surprised that that would hurt our conversion rate much at all. Yeah. Just I, logically, I right? I'm not talking from facts of like, well, Spencer, here's a study that I did on this. I'm just thinking just logically and, and my own behavior on that. Yeah, absolutely. Take that next step, go back, look at your contact us form, maybe all the forms on your website and just reevaluate based on the, the context. When you get the first person or that lead on the call, how do you have a successful call there? Do you have some steps in getting to that first call? Yeah. So yeah, so what, what makes that first call a success? The headline that I put in my answer to that is have a process. If you're a remodeler, who has a process to their initial phone call, you're going to be much more successful. And what that looks like is, you know, you have kind of an outline in your head of how that call is going to go, the different questions that you want to ask them. Your process involves you not driving around while you're doing the call. So you're hundred percent focused, right? The process is, you know, Hey, Mr. Ms. Homeowner or Mr. Homeowner, or Ms. Homeowner, whoever it is, do you have 15 to 20 minutes to talk about your project? You might say that very early on when they answer the phone because that's a process. That's setting them up for what to expect on this initial phone call. So often they are expecting you to say, yes, we do kitchens and great. Let's set up a time to meet next Tuesday. And they're expecting that call to last two to three minutes. And what I know from speaking with dozens and hundreds of remodelers over the years is that if our initial phone call lasts two or three minutes and we book an initial appointment, then we are chasing everything. Then we are not qualifying our leads. We are wasting a lot of time. We are missing an opportunity to build know, like, and trust to start to differentiate our business from everybody else. There's so much that we can do. And so this initial phone call is so important to just the overall process and how we kick things off. And a lot of times we just don't take it that serious. We kind of just pull out a blank sheet of paper and we ask the questions that come to our mind and we let them kind of steer and direct the conversation versus us elegantly leading it. So success on the initial call is you have a process that you follow. I just kind of shared some of those. Part of the process may be you work to get a clear picture in your mind, in your head of the project that they're talking about. I mean, we've asked them enough questions about their kitchen that we have a sense for how old the kitchen is when the house was built. We know if the soffits come down from the ceiling or go up to the ceiling. We've asked them enough questions to know if we're doing some major moving of plumbing or if a wall is coming down. And as you're asking a lot of questions, you're starting to get some other projects that you've done in your head. And when you get that Smith job in your head and that Hunt job in your head and that Jones job in your head, you also start to get some budget range in your head of where this project could come in at. And when that's clear in your head and you ask the question, 
what are you looking to invest in this project? You, know, you can do that with confidence because if they come back to you with, well, we don't know, that's why we're asking you, you're able to say, well, it depends on so many different factors and selections and decisions, but based on my experience and based on the project that you're describing to me, it sounds like several projects that we actually did just last year. And on a project like that, you're going to be anywhere from you know, 35000 up to 60000 which is a big range. You know, how do you feel about that? And then I might be quiet and let them respond. Or you may be confident enough that you might tighten that range up a little bit. You know, for a project like this, you're looking from anywhere between fifty dollars to $60,000. How does that sound to you? You know, you let them respond. Doing that on the initial phone call and having a process for that and practicing that and getting better at that can be such a powerful way for you to protect your most valuable asset, which is your time. Yeah, right? and yeah go ahead. How, how, I mean... How critical is it to get to budget on that first call? Is, are there ever instances that you shouldn't? Yeah, if we're talking about an addition project, if I have no confidence of where this number could come in at, I may hold off on it a little bit. Even if I don't have a number, for me to ask, you know, based on the project you're describing, do you guys have a budget in mind? Or do you guys have what you're looking to invest in this project? And they may give you nothing. It usually doesn't hurt to simply ask the question, right? And especially this question is asked later in the call. The response I have more than anything is, if you think it's impossible to ask that question, you've got to keep practicing. You've got to keep thinking about the strategy. I, I laid out a little bit of the strategy there that a lot of times when I lay that out for modelers, they start to have some, they still have apprehension. Can I ask that question? Should I ask that question? Is it allowed to ask that question? Is there a federal law barring me from asking that question? <laughs> no, right? But the more they do it, the more they say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and a lot of times my action stuff for one of my clients is just do it one time. Okay, you've, you've listened to me. We've practiced a little bit. Try it one time. Get that clear pitch in your head. Get a couple similar projects in your head and ask that question. And so often they have a good, decent, solid conversation with the prospect about it. And it might be really Oh, we were thinking that was going to cost $15,000 and you're, you're saying it's starting at 30 and then I go into education mode. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to explain to them why I'm going to help them understand that. But chances are, I'm also not going to spend hours and hours meeting with them and working on designs or proposals. I'm going to save my time, which is so vitally important. So, you know, a lot of times if you, if you're listening to that and you're kind of like, boy, I just don't think that's possible. I would challenge you to keep thinking through it, to try it one time, and to keep working at it. Because there's hundreds of remodelers across the country that have kind of figured out how to do that. Do they do it every single time? Does it work 100% of the time? No, to answer your kind of follow-up question there, Spencer. But so often, it is, it's turned into kind of an integral part of this initial call. You can't do this if you're taking three to five minutes on the call. This is when you've set up a process and set up an expectation that we're going to talk about you, your project. We're going to get to know each other. I'm going to explain how we work. Um, we're going to talk about what you're looking to invest in the project, 15, 20 minutes of conversation. Yeah, I think that's great. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, for you, a big part of making that call successful is learning about the project. So hopefully you can kind of rough it out in your head, but then asking the budget question, are there a couple of other critical questions or things that you like to uncover on that first call? Yeah, I want to I want to know just some very basic stuff like how did they hear about us? I want to track every single lead that I have received. You know, if I don't have clarity on that, make sure every lead you are tracking where they heard about you. So make sure that takes care of uh, takes place. Basic questions, desired time frame for the budget. And your question I like to ask is, what do you know about our business? 
if I ask that question and they say, uh, you know, I was just kind of surfing around online and saw you guys and looked decent and thought I'd reach out versus Mrs. Smith has been raving about you guys. We're good friends, kind of watched from afar as you guys did her kitchen project for her. So it was kind of just no doubt that when we're looking at our kitchen, we were going to reach out to you. Our sales approach to those two people are different. It's different. Right? With one of them, we're going to need to build a lot more know, like, and trust. We are going to need to really educate them, really differentiate ourselves. With the other, we're walking in with just a, a wonderful opportunity that's been know, like, and trust has been built. So that question is one that I like to ask. Okay, I'll give you an example of one of my clients in Iowa who has started to take this initial call a lot more seriously. And I urged him to use a project discovery sheet, which is just you know simple form that or simple printout that just has some of these questions out. And I said, give it a try. And the, for the first one he did, he said, uh, and I'm looking at my notes because I was just putting exclamation marks and smiley faces all around it as he was telling me about it the other day. He, he asked this question. He said, what kind of projects have you done in the past? Another way I like to phrase that is, have you ever remodeled before? If so, tell me about the experience. And my client in Iowa had asked that question and she started to talk about how we did a project before and we worked with a designer and then we hired a remodeler and the communication between that, the process between that, it just didn't work well. We heard things from the designer, then the remodeler didn't kind of get that information. It just was clunky. Well, my client in Iowa was a design build remodeler. You think he was smiling as smirking as she's telling him, telling him this, right? Absolutely. She's got this pain from that. You know, there's lots of change orders. Then she actually, just as she was talking about her project, her previous experience, she was talking about some of the budget issues they had. And then she wrote, he, my, my client's like, Kyle, and then listen to this. She just rolled right into this current project and shared with me the budget they're thinking. I didn't even ask. She was talking about the budget issues they had with this previous project. And then she just rolled right in and said, you know, and on this project, we're looking at a 20,000. I don't know what the number was, but she just rolled right into it. And he's like, I asked one question that's just a little outside the norm. What kind of projects have you done in the past? And I just got a treasure trove of information, pain points that they've had in the past, things that we want to make sure to avoid, highlights of benefits that we have that I'm going to really explain and dig into, budget, all of that happens. That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I think that highlights something pretty cool, which I think is counterintuitive, and that's by asking some strategic questions, you actually build your authority and credibility and in this example, obviously you got a trove, you know, a trove of information there yeah. that you weren't expecting. And sometimes, yeah, you go to ask those questions and you're just trying to uncover more and more and they get more comfortable with you because you're asking questions that are relevant to them and to their project and what they're thinking about. Yes, exactly. Let's talk about follow-up a little bit. Okay. So let's go back to the forum. Let's talk about follow-up pre first call and then we'll, we'll get to post call. But you know, somebody fills out this form and they give us, you know, the information about their project, you do your research and then you go to, to set this call. What's your sense of it, you know, working with different remodelers in terms of how often should you follow up? You know, which methods should you follow up in? Because a lot of times, you know, you'll reply to that response and then you'll hear crickets. Gotcha. So you're talking even just how do we follow up just to secure the initial phone call? Exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. So my thought on just follow up in general, whether it's the specific one we're talking about right here or after the initial meeting, after proposal, all that, is that we just don't follow up enough. We are nice and we are kind and we do not want to come off as slimy or salesy. Therefore, we err on the side of 
they'll get back to me if they're interested. And there's just this balance between one side of the pendulum, which is I am absolutely passive. I don't want to come across even remotely close to being obnoxious. Then there's the other side of the pendulum, which is the thing that we all hate in our industry of these slimy salespeople that just ugly, right? And there's this part that's kind of in the middle. And what I call that is just being a professional salesperson. Instead of being on one side or another or fearing that we're going to go way to one side, there's this in-between that looks a little bit more proactive, it looks professional, and, it, and it's definitely more than just one follow-up. So we should follow up more. As far as somebody that fills out a form, I'm going to gauge that form a little bit. You know, my answer to that question is, depends on how excited I am about the prospect. Sure. If I get that through, like that client, the one that I literally read that came through 50 minutes ago, that sounds legit. That sounds solid. The only thing that might be a problem is that it said we want to get this started ASAP. And I know that client in particular has a nice backlog of work right now. So that may kind of squash the little bit of his excitement, but it looked like a realistic budget. It looked like an ideal project for him. So in that case, if he calls them up and leaves a message and they don't respond back today, there should be, or there ought to be either a phone call, an email or a text tomorrow, especially in their case, they said ASAP, we want to get this rolling. So I would follow up a second time, maybe just shoot a quick email that just says, hey, I left you a message yesterday, wanted to set up a time to chat via phone. 90% of the people that fill out a form or that you get their contact information, that's a cell phone number they're giving you. And for some reason, a lot of us still have this hesitancy to reach out via text. But one thing I know, I've been, my wife and I have been remodeling our house for the last uh, several months, we finished our basement, we had new hardwood floors and we had an insurance thing unrelated to it. We've just had a lot of contractors in and out of our house. And as a busy business owner, if somebody texts me versus calls me, they get a response from me a lot quicker via text or via email than they do if they call me just because my days are pretty busy. So I'll usually lump my calls for later in the day, but I can knock a text back real quick and easy. So that's the way a lot of people are today. It's just reality. It's our society. You know, so shooting them a quick text saying, Hey, this is Kyle from Kyle's remodeling. Just wanted to set up a time to chat today. What time would be good for you? I bet you you're going to get more response to that than you are to you know, another follow-up phone call. So do you hear how it's just like, let's use different methods, how frequent we respond to them. It really depends on how excited I am about the prospect and about the project. And I'm definitely going to follow up at least three times. Let me just throw a number out there, right? <laughs> yeah. At least three times, okay? Once it gets past three, then I'm starting to think, wait, this is just not very respectful to me. I have reached out to you with two calls and a text and you haven't given me the common courtesy of just reaching back out to me. So if I follow up that last time and you've got to mean it when you say this, but Hey, I just wanted to reach out one more time to you and follow up one more time. It's amazing how often people will jump on that and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We just had a crazy busy week. My apologies for re not reaching out to you before. So there's a few thoughts for him. I like it. Yeah. And we call that last email. We have a similar template. We call it the breakup email and it's, yeah, it tends to get a pretty good response rate. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you said, you know, it's kind of our duty to strike that balance between being on one end of the spectrum or another in terms of just being a professional salesperson and trying to be in the middle, you know, being persistent, but not being, you know, really me and yeah, a pest. Are there some good either items to include with those follow-ups, say their follow-up emails, you know, whether it's attachments or information or, um, mm -hmm. you know, that can help strike that balance? Yeah, so it's, it's a little trickier when you've never talked to them before. 
because, you know, what pain points do they have? What's their hot button issues? What could I follow up with a value to them? So, you know, after we've talked to them or after we've done a proposal for them, you know, we have some specifics that cleanliness, job site cleanliness is a pain that they've had in the past. They've got little kids that are worried about nails and screws and all that going on. They have a pet. Job site cleanliness just seemed really important to them. So when I follow up, you know, am I going to highlight my build clean system? Am I going to highlight some pictures of some of our projects that show how we keep the job site neat and tidy? Yes, absolutely. So as far as other attachments and whatnot, I would say when we follow up, follow up with something of value. Now, when I know more about the prospect, that makes it easier. But, you know, even, even if I haven't talked to them before, I might link them to, you know, when you follow up with us, one of the things that I'd love for you to take a look at before you call back or when you have a minute is to look at our process. This really outlines how we work. And I thought you'd like to look at that before we talk. Or I might follow up and say, there's a third party resource called the cost versus value report. This might be a good thing for you to take a look at, you know, in prep for the time that we talk. Things like that. Think value. What is something value add? You may have a really strong client testimonial video or case study video. That's a wonderful thing to put out there. You may have something related to the build cleaner. Maybe you use Builder Trend or Co-Construct and you want to just send them an email or a follow-up that says, you know, communication is so important to us. We have a great system that helps us keep things organized. You can log in, see the schedule, da, da, da. You might link them to that one-minute video that Builder Trend or Co-Construct makes for you. Items like that would be solid. I like it. Yeah. And, and the key there is just adding some value and it's a good chance to add some education into the mix, you know, and you talked about that as being, you know, a part of that first call as well. Sure. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you've picked a number and I'm not going to hold you to the number, you know, three follow-ups, you know, some, whatever the number is, it, it may vary depending on your excitement level for the project or whatever the, the criteria is, you know, if you're getting 20, 30 leads a month or whatever it is, and then you've got your one, two, three, four follow-ups, that's a lot of touches. Do you mm -hmm. find that there are good ways to track, you know, where people are at in the follow-up process and how many times you followed up and that sort of thing? You know, the, the number of leads is what is really critical there. You know, if I'm getting 20 leads per month versus if I'm getting 50 leads per month, one system's going to have to be a little bit more automated, a little bit more sophisticated than, than the other one right? If I've got 50 coming through here, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces for me to keep track of, which means I'm going to have to probably rely a little bit more on automation and reminders of tasks. Maybe I get my office manager or somebody else on the team involved in helping me keep it all straight. You know, if I'm getting 10, 15, 20 leads that I'm, that I'm actively working, the system doesn't need to be quite so complex, right? If, if I have 10 or 15 leads per month, quality leads, which is the case for a lot of remodelers, you know, if I just have it organized, yeah, perhaps in a CRM system, perhaps in a spreadsheet, or even perhaps in a whiteboard, and I have my categories that say appointment to be set, or appointment set working on proposal, or done proposal for haven't signed, or people that are in design retainer stage. You know, if I have those main parts of my sales pipeline, and I have, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 leads that are through there, I'm able to just frequently kind of go in and say, okay, my done proposal for I haven't signed. I've got those seven people in there. Is there anybody that, no, I've talked to him recently. Yeah, they're due. It could be as simple as that. That's what a lot of my clients do. They just, they regularly, number one, their sales pipelines organized solid, like I just described. And then they just go in there and kind of take a look at those seven under that category, those six under this category. And they decide 
based on each of them, how am I going to follow up? I'm going to shoot them a quick text. I'm going to give them a quick call. I'm going to shoot them a quick email. You know, there's only so much in the follow-up, especially once you've engaged with them that you can automate because I could automate this great email that says, Hey, you know, I know you're still considering it, but you just talked to them yesterday. You know that they're not going to get back to you for a week or they're on vacation this week. Every single instance is kind of customized at that point. So the key for me and how to keep track and the best method for for following up is yes, we need to talk about how many leads you have flowing through your system because that's going to dictate you know how much complexity we need to add to it. But for a lot of us, if we just keep our sales pipeline nice and tight, nice and clean, where you've got six in here, seven in here, five in here, and you just regularly are going in there and one by one saying, okay, anything needed from, from me on this one today? Yes, okay, I'm going to send them just a nice follow-up about our build clean system. And so it's more, we've got these templates and we've got a plan but so that makes it easy to follow up and easy to keep it organized, but automating is a little tricky. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like how you talked about that process just in terms of the, the, I guess the deal stages of your sales pipeline and mm-hmm. knowing which opportunities are under each stage. We do something similar and I always recommend just, even if it's just once a week, if it's a sales meeting or a sales and marketing meeting, I joke with my team because I say, hey, I'm going to go have a sales and marketing meeting with myself. And I'm basically going to go through all of those pipe pipeline stages. Right and review. Do I need to follow up this person? Do I not? And so it can be as simple as that, but I think having it on the calendar, at least, you know, just once a week, if not yes. a couple of times to so just cruise through there and it takes 15 to 30 minutes or something, you know, yep. and most out. likely the answer is a couple times. If we do it once a week and then we miss a week, all of a sudden it's two weeks, you know, we should be looking at reviewing our pipeline and seeing if there's anything that we need to follow up on multiple times a week. Is that important? Totally. Yeah, totally. Well, you mentioned automation can be pretty tricky, especially, you know, I think you can do a lot of things on on the marketing side, but once you actually engage with a prospect or a lead, it, it does get tricky. Do you have any instances of automation that you recommend or is it typically around templates to help, you know, efficiency and that sort of thing? Mostly templates. Now we can definitely automate the, we're trying to book the appointment on day one, do this, day three, do this, day five, do this. We can definitely do a little bit more automating there as long as when they do reach out after day three, you know, we take them off that sequence, you know, so they don't get a day five thing that says, Hey, we're still trying to get in touch with you. Right. That's the fear of it. Um, You know, but so often once we get, once we've been to their house and we've gotten that first appointment, whether we're waiting to hear back on our design agreement or a project development agreement, whether we're working on the proposal, it's just a fact of the matter is every project and every person and every contact that we're talking to is unique. I may go to that initial in-person meeting and kind of present to them that we have a project development agreement or we have a design agreement and they're thinking about it. And I'm okay with their thinking about it because they're getting two other bids and they said, we're going to wait until we get these two other bids to decide if we want to do this design agreement. Great. You know, when would be a good time for me to follow up and get that day and time for you to follow up. Definitely always have kind of a next date that you're going to follow up with them. But every, every instance is unique because there's a thousand different things that could be going on. He travels. He's going to be in Europe for two and a half weeks. We're going to kind of hold off on it. That's okay, right? Okay, cool. We'll follow up with you then. There's other people that are like, we need to get this thing figured out and sorted out by the end of the week. Well, <laughs> that follow-up's a lot different. So everybody's unique. So there's no, there's no automation that we can do, especially in residential remodeling that's going to be one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And that makes a ton of sense. And just developing some simple templates can probably save a lot of time. You can customize them and tweak them. If you use Gmail, get that canned responses set up, you know, so it's quick and easy to copy paste it in. Absolutely. And 
Kyle, I've got another you know question to wrap us up, but for those of our listeners who haven't gone back and listened to the previous episode that we did, what's the best way for people to connect with you and, and find you? Yeah, they can uh, find me at remodelyourmarketing.com. Or you can, hey, after that first podcast, I had one person take me up on this. I said, hey, send me a text message and let me know something that you that you took away from from the podcast. And if you want to do that, I love that. That's that's just fun to get. 517-902-8450. You can call or text that. And then the one other thing I would do is I've got a private Facebook group on Facebook that's called Remodelers with an S at the end, community, remodelers community. There's about 300 of us clients, people you'd probably know, Victoria Downing's in there and Spencer, you should be in there actually. So you should look that up. Just a lot of remodelers who we're just sharing a lot of best practice and ideas. That'd be a great thing for you to look up if you're listening to this. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure to link up the website and that group as well as, yeah, please send a text over to Kyle and let him know what you took away from this episode. Cause I feel like we uncovered a lot in just a, you know a couple of those early stages of the sales process, but those can be so powerful from a, a time-saving standpoint, but also a moving the opportunity forward standpoint. You know, getting to budget early and progressing those those opportunities. Kyle, if, if you could leave somebody with one piece of advice for today, what would that be? So a lot, a lot of what we talked about in episode six and some of what we talked about today revolved around that initial phone call with a new prospect. And I've been doing this for 10 years straight, business coach, in particular, marketing and sales coach for modelers. So if there's anybody who kind of had a secret weapon, it'd be me or a magic bullet. And the, the nearest, the biggest bang for the buck thing that I have found is taking somebody who spends two minutes on initial phone call and teaching them and training them and coaching them on how to spend 15 plus minutes on the initial phone call to build no like and trust, to differentiate, to get better, to get very, very skilled at that initial call. I just haven't found a bigger bang for the buck. When you're able to protect your time, when you're able to differentiate yourself, when you're able to clearly explain your process, when you're able to tee up that initial in-person meeting in a very strong way, when you get that nice professional appointment confirmation email out between the initial phone call and the in-person meeting, there's just, there's no other part of the sales process for modelers that I found that has more bang for the buck and more results for effort put in. So take that initial phone call very, very seriously. Continue to get better at it. When you get off the phone, do a quick what worked, what didn't. Man, you know, they said they just moved here from the area. And I just, now that I think about it, I just totally bypassed that. I could have asked them, hey, where did you move from? That could have spurred on additional know, like, and trust and information about them and da-da-da. So do a quick what worked, what didn't at the end of that initial call and just take it seriously. Keep getting better and better and better at it and be focused on it. Don't be driving while you do this most important part of the sales process. That's awesome advice. And Kyle, I always enjoy our conversations. This one definitely didn't disappoint. Thanks Good. again for, for joining me today. You betcha. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for joining us today on Builder Funnel Radio. Don't forget to visit www.builderfunnel.com for tons of free marketing and sales resources. And if you ever need hands-on help implementing your marketing and sales system, just send a quick note to radio at builderfunnel.com. And as we close for today, remember, never stop learning. See you next time.